In this episode, Thomas, hello, by the way, this is Craig, as always, this is The Wednesday Audio, the only podcast in the world about Wednesdays, on a Wednesday, the only podcast about Wednesdays, I hope. This is an exclusive you're listening to right now. And this episode is a bit different. Today, I spoke to Thomas J. Bevan, my nemesis slash fearful leader in the Discord, secret Discord that I'm a part of. This episode, we talk a very, and I have to be honest here, we talk a very, very small little bit about Wednesdays in this episode. The conversation was fun, though. Tom's a great guy, and you'll get to hear the voice of Thomas J. Bevan. This is a podcast exclusive. He's only ever been on one other podcast. That podcast has apparently been taken down, so this is a podcast exclusive. Not only are you getting the only podcast in the world about Wednesdays, you're also getting the only podcast in the world that talks to Thomas J. Bevan. Enjoy. Yeah, it used to be a two days on, two days off thing, but they were always struggling for stuff at the weekend. So I just kind of stepped in and said, you know what, guys, I'll do you a favour. I'll work every other weekend straight through and then no other time. Just completely chancing my arm. And they went, oh, yeah, that's fine. That's good. Thank you. So when I'm, I'm trying to talk to somebody about Wednesdays, you don't even have a fucking clue what a normal Wednesday is for somebody. No, no. You don't but even- that gives it... That gives a different perspective, doesn't it? The, the least qualified person to talk about it can offer a, a counterpoint of, yeah, you're August idiots, just stop working nine to five if it's a problem. I mean, I don't even know what it is because, yeah, I work Wednesdays. I work Monday mm-hmm. to Friday, but I kind of work most days on something. So, mm-hmm. Wednesday, I, I, this was your suggestion to do this podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've already run out of content on week four. Yeah. I wasn't expecting you to kind of go with it. But yeah, I mean, the fact you've eked it out this far is, uh, yeah, it's impressive. But I think all you have to do, you start with it being about Wednesdays for about like 20 seconds, and then you quickly segue into something else. You can talk about whatever you want. Simple. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I did last week. Uh, yeah. Uh, and no one notices it because you go, oh, it's Wednesday. I'll tell you what I did last Wednesday. I went to the supermarket and blah, blah. And then you're off. You're off talking about something completely different. <laughs> Pleasely. But I, I wanted to stick to the strict format because, you know, this is the only podcast about Wednesdays in the world. as far as For, for, for a reason. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether it's for a reason or not. All, all good art is made for a stupid reason in the first place. For an audience of like four people. So, yeah, you're exactly right. I don't think anybody looked at Sistine Chapel roof, uh, Sistine, you know, and thought, this is a really good idea to paint this. Mm. Well, that took him four years, so that's like, what, 204 episodes you need to make it that long? Yeah. Hey, obviously, this is my Sistine Chapel. This is as high as my art goes. This, this is what you're going to be known for. Yeah, all that. Graphic design and social media, that, that's just all a prelude to just one man having a slow mental breakdown <laughs> over the course of years as he's talking about Wednesdays. But, I mean, shit, you haven't talked about Sheffield Wednesday yet. You haven't talked about, um, what is it, Wednesday is what, 
Wodan is it that it comes from, I think. So there's another there's another seven minutes you can just rip from Wikipedia, you know, the endless, <laughs> isn't it? That's that's not the spirit of it though, because the, the, uh, what's slowly developing is the spirit is that it's the only podcast about Wednesdays where I moan about it being about Wednesdays, which ultimately means the podcast isn't about Wednesdays. So it's actually the only podcast that claims it's about Wednesdays that isn't about Wednesdays. So yeah. I think that's going to be my extended tagline because this so is not going to be about Wednesdays. <laughs> so what it is is it's someone moaning about people who moan about Wednesdays. Yeah, that's worse, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the bar was already pretty low, but somehow he makes like limbo underneath it there. So, yes. I guess you can go low enough to come back out of the other side. It becomes a mess. Well, well, it's like, yeah, it's like limbo. If you go low enough, it's really impressive. <laughs> kind of going quite low isn't very good, but if you're virtually touching the floor because the bar is so low, that almost becomes like, oh, wow. That's a skill in and of itself. Mm. Well, have you ever seen Sean Keeve in his radio show? That's basically what he does. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I went through a six music phase, and yeah, he he would moan about days of the week as well, if I remember right. They just yeah, trying to be in solidarity with the working man who listened, even though you know he's got a pretty cushy radio gig there. Which yeah, you you got to get it really fucking early. I mean that's yeah, that's tough. But other than that, it's all pretty sweet, isn't it? You get to play like brick pop records or whatever the fuck for a couple of hours, and you go home to like somewhere nice in North London. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he just he just used to moan that he was tired on a morning. That's that's all he did. And it's, yeah. since his move to afternoons, it's actually slightly better because he doesn't moan about afternoons, but he just he just does stuff like what I like doing: destroy your audience, <laughs> uh, yeah. quote unquote. He just leaves dead air for twenty seconds, mm. and then just goes, "Ha!" and, and then just just carries on talking. <laughs> he, he literally just he's just amusing himself now. Which I think is the highest form of art, and that's what I'm trying to get to with the Wednesday. Yeah, it's pure, it's pure self-indulgence. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many, I don't know what audience you've got now, what number, but if you can kind of trim that down to like about a dozen purists, then yeah, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they'll buy anything as well if if that's yeah. if that's your motivation. It's not personally mine, but yeah. but yeah, that, that that's kind of where I am because I, I figure I need to just yeah, I need to call the week. None of these sort of people who found me because someone who shouldn't have been recommending me recommended me, you know, I need to get rid of that chaff. And it's the people who are just committed, you know. How are you going to get rid of them? I don't know, because I don't want to get rid of them by being an outright dick, just because I think that'll backfire, because everyone's used to having this sort of masochistic relationship with internet gurus. If I just start to be horrible... I like that, don't I love a bit of that. Oh, yeah, you know, tell me horrible things about my work ethic. Oh, brilliant, thank you. So they like that. So that's that's not an option. So I'm going through it right now. I'm trying. I to- I either need to bore them to death or just slowly tell them the opposite of work ethic, which is kind of what I believe. And then eventually they'll be like, oh, well, this isn't exciting. This is just really slow, gradual progress of life goals. That's boring. <laughs> so I'll go to someone who can offer me this quick fix, you know. That, that's my current strategy, but we'll see. Well, I've I've got this I've got this thing on Twitter where I hate people who reply to my tweets with just my tweet. Uh, yeah. 
anybody who's listening to this right now, fuck you. And I, 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 I genuinely mean that. I'm not, I'm not joking. Fuck you. Um, people who reply to my tweets by rewording it, reply guys, I hate it. Um, I, I actually posted a tweet earlier because Vita from your cult, mm-hmm. uh, Vita DM'd me on Twitter saying, oh, it looks like people are starting to do this again on your tweets. And I'm like, it pissed me off. So I put a tweet out of a meme that just says my tweet and your reply. They're both the same thing. And everybody is just replying with that again. They're just doing exactly the thing that I hate. <laughs> so I've got to that point already where you you cannot, you cannot, nobody takes you seriously. Even, even if you're being serious and like, I hate this. And by the way, I'll say it again. Fuck you if you're doing this to me on Twitter because I hate it. Nobody believes me. <laughs> if mm-hmm. people listen to this and think, oh, he's joking right now, I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, my my strategy with that is I make the tweet so sort of boring and wordy that you'd actually struggle to summarise it back to me. Not because it was brilliant, but because it was so obscure that no one could really do it. And then you get no engagement whatsoever and then you win. So... Yeah, that's the angle. That's the angle. But if you do like nice sort of little images like you do, that's people like that. So they're going to do their own nice little thing back. So yeah, you just need to be talk about obscure, wordy things that no one likes, and then yeah, then you'll thin the herd. Mm-hmm. So that's why I had to get rid of Twitter because you know there's only two hundred eighty characters, whereas I need like about fifteen hundred words to really, really alienate someone. Just really get rid of them. Just for your intro, yeah. 1,500 words. Exactly, yeah. And then, you know, so what I like to do is I like to talk about something really boring about my personal life, like really boring, in like an incredible amount of detail. And then um, most people disappear, and then a small percentage think, oh, this is quite nice. And that's your cult. Mm. Does it annoy you when people don't like your work on Substack? Have you got the same relationship with Substack as you had with Twitter? Um, well, it's a bit more effort. So, um, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know if any, anyone can be asked to read something to make sure they really don't like it and then take the effort to leave a little hateful reply. It doesn't really work that way. So the only way you know if people don't like something is by just a bunch of numbers, which you can either choose to ignore or you can rationalise away why they're not actually bad and it's actually good and everything's great. So, yeah. So you think because you've written 1,500 words, that means it's automatically good? Is that way that you look at it? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Has to be, come on. Well, I've, I've found it quite random so far because I've always, I've always hated on email newsletters. Never liked them. Mm. Uh, and, and now I've joined your cult and everybody's got a sub stack. I thought, yeah, I'll give it a try. And now I like reading them as you slowly indoctrinate me into reading long form things. Well, as you slowly getting your attention span back. Yeah. Um, and now I enjoy them, but I, 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 I've still got this kind of weird relationship with, with them where I, I'm, I'm writing something long. Can you hear that? That's my cat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> still got this weird relationship with them where I think nobody reads long-form newsletters because I don't read them. I don't know what to think about it. I'm still not sure if, even though I've turned this auto-plug thing on Twitter, I'm still not sure if it's like the good 
the good long-term play, even though it is. Just because I don't like them, I don't think anybody else wants to read them. Who, who knows? Who knows? It's August a stab in the dark, which you kind of rationalise, isn't it? It's all survivor bias and luck. And if you luck out, you tell yourself that it was a plan all along. So, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, because some, some of them are right. I think, oh, this is amazing. Oh, this is like the best thing I've ever written. And then nobody likes it. And then something mm-hmm. that I just bash out at... 11.45 before midnight everybody likes it and says this is the best thing you've yeah. ever written like, I, I can't control but, that quality but that's that's the secret though I mean you know you kind of see all these people who give you writing advice but yeah just, just can all of that and then just just write something start to finish in one shot it might be terrible but it'll be interesting terrible which is better than boring good mm. do you ne- never edit them do you just write them in one shot uh, yeah, write them in one shot, and then I'll just do a bit of a spell check, and then that's it, really. Yeah, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do as well. I I, I don't yeah. like editing. I hate it. Yeah, well, it, it, it's it, yeah, it's not so much. Uh, I mean, editing isn't great, something like that. But it's more just kind of like having a plan, and then like, oh, I'm going to start here, and this is the end. And, beginning middle end and this is the thing and this is the quote i'll use to prove the point it's just yeah you've just made like a homework assignment for yourself where it's supposed to be fun so yeah creative pursuits on the internet are supposed to be fun you know and if you're not enjoying yourself then what's the point then if you're not enjoying yourself then the chance of anyone else enjoying reading it is pretty slim I, i agree i mean and every time i write them it's the same way when i'm making visuals i already have the the whole idea in my head i don't mm-hmm. like need to plan it or write it down i just have the idea and i make exactly it. yeah yeah, yeah. I, if if i did have to plan it then that's work and, and then it isn't mm-hmm. it isn't that's the kind of thing i do for a client which usually worse than my personal work um so yeah i, I kind of i kind of agree as soon as i start writing i don't even usually change the format that much you know I, i've seen mm-hmm. i've seen writing advice before where they say just empty your head just literally mm-hmm. just write anything and then when i get to the end of it when i follow that advice i've got the piece that i wanted yeah <laughs> and, and then i'm like well shouldn't i be moving this around or or, or something should this mm-hmm. shouldn't this be more shit than it is right now I, yeah. I don't i don't get it well, i think the thing is and you know i can i can kind of say this because i'm a thought criminal without a social media platform so no one's going to kind of get me but i think all the people who write write writing advice are just pretty much devoid of talent so there's no point listening to it because that's the ultimate thing that you need which is a it's unfortunate truth but i think there is an element of truth to that you know storytelling ability that's what you need yeah yeah but the the problem is a lot of the people providing the advice have had massive success in writing careers purely mm-hmm. by writing very boring content yeah yeah nothing fails like success yeah yeah like i know james clear that that kind of thing um well there's more money in non-fiction i'd imagine mm-hmm. I've, I've got no figures to back that up but i've got a feeling there's more money in non-fiction yeah surely yeah sure there must be because people i mean how many people do you know who read fiction personally like in your real life yeah, I, I, I don't. A couple. Mm-hmm. 
I used to always laugh at my girlfriend and always take the piss out of her. She always read fiction. And now I want to be her. <laughs> <laughs> now now I've spent 10 years reading everything but James Clear's book. Now mm. I just want to read fiction. Yeah. Be, be, because but, it's just boring. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I never, you know, um, never particularly was keen on the idea of improving myself, let alone reading about it. But, yeah, I've read one or two of those things, and it's just, yeah, I don't know why you do it. Again, it's that idea of um, making work in your free time, which is probably why people hate Wednesdays, because if they're free time, see, see, I brought it back. See, Good. Because Good. if they... Yeah, if all your free time is work, then you're going to be overworked, and by the middle of the week, it's going to be done. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, this is my fourth or fifth Zoom call today now. Mm-hmm. And if I thought this was work, I would have just said, "No, we're not going. We're not going to do this." And then I'm doing yeah. another Zoom call after this. Again, if it was work, I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is definitely something about that. Doing, spending most of your time doing things that are fun, then Wednesdays don't feel like Wednesdays. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think what you need to do just generally is you either um, properly work hard, and if you've ever properly worked hard, you've got like a couple of hours of full-on kind of work in you before your brain just decides it's had enough. So you've got a couple of hours of solid work, and the rest of the time you just properly fuck off. Whereas the problem... The problem with content and all this kind of stuff is that I was saying it's like he's getting in his Thomas J. Bevan bits. <laughs> I'm here, yeah. It's like, yeah, you're doing like 12 hours a day of kind of reading something on the internet. It kind of feels like work and productive enough, but it's not properly fun. It's not properly work that's making any difference. So yeah, no wonder you're exhausted. So is it that Wednesdays? It's not work that exhausts you on a Wednesday. Is it the fact that you sat? all day maybe consuming things like podcasts about Wednesdays that you hate Wednesdays uh yeah but I guess the idea is is that um is it the work that's causing you to feel tired or is it the fact that you're on the computer all the time that's causing you to feel tired it's probably a better way to say it yeah well me personally I'm so incredibly lazy that I don't really get tired because I don't do any of that sort of stuff but for the notional sort of person at home, then yeah, probably. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're just kind of reading this shit for like, and I'm sure some people do it for like literally 8, 10, 12 hours a day when they've got three days just reading all this nonsense. You don't have to do that for so long for it to be the equivalent amount of time of actually mastering something. So the only thing that people kind of master with the 10,000-hour rules are just making themselves unhappy via the internet, which is the worst use of that time I can possibly imagine. And there's only so many tweets, just tweets. There's only so many tweets you can read before they say the same thing. I literally Mm -hmm. write the same tweets every single day. And if you extrapolate that out to reading the books, a James Clear book or any of the other ones, what have I got on my desk, a Seth Godin book, if you extrapolate any of those out, they're all mm-hmm. saying the same idea, but they're saying it in 150,000 words instead of 380 characters. Yeah. Whereas, um, pardon me, um, and I think the problem with that on a wider sort of form is if you read that stuff for long enough, 
you kind of de-skill yourself to read anything else, which goes back to the fiction point. And so you try and read a real book or anything like that. And it's just boring because you've, yeah, you can only read like sort of fortune cookie length amounts of words before you just, yeah, before you just have enough. And so. Because it's not yeah, engaging. It was, yeah. Well, in that, yeah, exactly. in that classic, classic sense of engaging, because, mm-hmm. because each paragraph is not a tweet length, basically. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I mean, these things, yeah, these things take time. It takes a while to kind of um, get into something, especially like a narrative. You have to slowly sort of be eased into it. And um, the thing itself has to teach you how to read it as you're reading it. So, you know, you have to introduce um, a certain world or a certain way of being. And that kind of takes time, which, you know, requires a certain amount of attention span. And that's if you're reading something fairly modern, let alone something old. Mm. So it just becomes this vicious cycle, whereas, um, you know, in many ways, people kind of can't read in a sense. And as a result of that, writers try and become more and more engaging and short and short sentences and all this kind of like copywriter led um, skills. And then it just kind of degenerates to the bottom. And then, then you finally haven't really got a culture left. Is is that just because you? And that's hit, why you hate that. Wednesdays. <laughs> is it just going to add that in every now and again? That's why you hate Wednesdays. <laughs> yeah, and then so you edit it, so it looks as if I've made sort of like coherent points around a set theme. So yeah, exactly. Well, th- this is all coming into like really stark, stark understanding for me right now. After I just started reading that, amusing ourselves to death. Yeah, um, that's a great book. Yeah, yeah, it, it is, and and right at the very beginning. I've got it here that I've got some of it highlighted. One of the main things I, I took away from this, uh, it's like, it's kind of an obvious point, but it's just something you never think about because the, the book's all really about television, isn't it? About mm-hmm. how television is. Yeah, like dist- TV advertising, yeah. Yeah, about how television has destroyed culture. But it, it mentions that really important point in it, I think, that that's kind of what we're talking about, where it's it's the medium that dictates the kind of content that people become start to consume basically the, mm-hmm. the medium dictates the future of the way that people consume content it's not that the medium is the message it's actually way more insidious than that mm-hmm. i think the the example it gives in in the book a couple of examples the ones that stick out is the the idea of smoke signals it said when we only ever communicated in smoke signals you can't get across a an intellectual philosophical point with a smoke signal. So no, mm-hmm. so nobody was talking about intellectual or philosophical points. And then in other cultures that were speech only, when they came to try and bring justice down on people, they, they, they could only speak to each other. They didn't have a big tome of legalese to, to read. Mm-hmm. So the way that they doled out justice was by remembering aphorisms and philosophical quotes and, and things like that. So they dulled the justice down on by saying something. Uh, I can't think of a bloody example, but basically, like a, a ten, one of the Ten Commandments. They 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 mm-hmm. say you know that thou shalt be nice to your neighbour or whatever it is. I'm not religious. I can't remember them. Um, and they and they dealt the justice down based on a remembered aphorism because they none of it was written down. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I think we're like getting, well, we're not getting towards that. We're already there. That something like Twitter has changed everybody's minds to consuming aphorisms and expect aphorisms, expect 380 characters in any medium and not just text. TikTok, Mm -hmm. TikTok, YouTube, all of the channels promote short form content because that's the thing that people expect, but it's only the thing that people expect because that's the thing that they've been given from the media. And that's exactly my point. Over time, you become sort of used to that and you forget what the other way is. So yeah, you literally change your brain over the course of a couple of years. You know, I, I mean, I noticed that I became much more sort of fortune cookie brains and happy to see what I was doing and even what I was thinking. And then, you know, obviously I get banned from the internet for being a thought criminal. And then after that happens, it's like I kind of become unlobotomized and get parts of my brain back. And now I can write 50, 1500 words of obscure nonsense that no one's interested in quite easily so you know that's something did you used to struggle to write them more when you were on twitter um not not necessarily but they'd be different like i don't know without kind of um necessarily consciously intending to like your sentences are just shorter and things are just more choppy and just like you know there's a point, there's a point, there's a point, rather than slowly developing, like here's an example, here's, um, you know, here's some groundwork I'm going to have to lay, here's an analogy, and then here's my point. Why is that a bad thing, though? What, the fact that... Um, that you the fact get to it, the point quicker. Why is that a bad um, thing? It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a good skill to have, but it's just... I don't know. Imagine if with you, um, with you designing, if I said you couldn't use certain colors or certain shape, you could make it work. No problem. In some ways it'd probably be better having that limitation. However, at certain points you're going to need that other thing and it's just not there anymore. Mm. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying it to like question. You yeah. yeah. No, it's a fair question. Yeah. It, 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 it makes me curious because I, I do struggle with that because yeah. I do write on Twitter, but it really doesn't affect the way that I write because I, I just mm-hmm. I just don't take Twitter seriously at all. But I have always had that brevity style, that style mm-hmm. of, of trying to say the most in the least amount of words. Whereas, whereas you you know you'll meander towards a point. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll I'll never I'll never write like that because I've I've never known to write like that, and that's come from kind of a lot of things one writing loads of emails all the time and trying mm-hmm. to be really clear with clients to say number one this is what you should do number two this is what you should do and leaving no ambiguity in, in the email mm-hmm. so you kind of you've got this like very instructional type of writing and then kind of two I've always pushed for it because I can because I've got a more of a design communication brain than than like um I guess guess an arty brain. I've got more of a communication brain than an arty brain, mm-hmm. so I, I never, I never really saw the value in in meandering towards a point. For me, that's wasted. If I if I can make a point in ten words, I'll make yeah. the point in ten words versus making the word uh, the point in in ten paragraphs because I see that as less efficient, but not just less efficient. I see that as bad. 
mm-hmm. you, know, you know, wrong, basically. I'm just saying what my brain says, not which, necessarily which, what I believe. Which, yeah, it, I mean, I mean, it's fine because that's your style, but to put it another way, I know you like uh, listening to metal, for example. So what if there was a hard limit where every song has to be three minutes? Yeah. All your favourite songs are now ruined because they kind of take a while to get to the point to have these long sort of breakdowns and solos and intros and outros and all that kind of thing. So that's just gone. Mm. So for me, it's kind of the equivalent of that. And it, it depends on what you sort of do. But if you if you are more prone towards the meander rather than directly getting to the point, which neither is right or wrong, but um, yeah, if everything's all one style or one genre, then things are going to get boring pretty quickly. I'm I'm trying I'm trying to pull out of that because I, there is some pieces, particularly the piece that I'm going to write on Friday, mm-hmm. that is going to be quite meandering. And even now, when I'm planning it in my head, I'm thinking, "No, this is shit. This is wrong." I, I'm actually battling it in my own head mm-hmm. constantly because probably more primarily the marketing brain. I'll I'll tell a client, you know, I'll read one of the blog posts or whatever, and say, you know, you need to get to the point quicker here. You need to lose mm-hmm. that, basically lose any of the personality because that's kind of the point mm-hmm. so i'm always trying to battle that in my head but the piece that i'm writing on friday is almost exclusively a meander about buying a really expensive watch so mm-hmm. i actually want to challenge myself to write it because it's really really not my kind of not my kind of wheelhouse to to write that kind of thing and i sometimes even look to I look at the word count sometimes. I'm like, Jesus, I've mentioned so many things and it's only like 700 words. Mm-hmm. And then I try to go back to it and think, right, I'm, well, I'm going to add I'm going to add something more to it. And once you get to that point, I think you've lost it because you just, yeah. you're just adding shit for no, for no reason. I, I yeah, am- exactly. I, I think unless you're doing some sort of commission writing piece where they ask for a certain word count, then yeah, it's never look at the word count. There's no point. It'll be as long as it's, as long as it's going to be. It's it's weird because I've always enjoyed writing and I have never done it um, for pleasure, really. Mm-hmm. I've always done it because I thought I needed to. So whenever I've done it before, when I've had a blog or mm-hmm. I've, I've had a professional blog or I've talked about design or that kind of thing, I've always done it because I needed to. So this is weird for me. Yeah. I guess the um, I guess the difference is because it's all it's all the written word. You can kind of confuse the intention. So if you look at sort of spoken word, like talking to someone and singing are different things, even though it's both words coming out of your mouth. Whereas there's like an equivalent with the pen, where it's like just words to communicate, and then also words to be more sort of expressive or or a creative outlet. But it's still it's still typing words on a screen. It can be much harder to um, differentiate between those things and so I think people just get stuck in that you know writing to communicate like a work email marketing mm. um, kind of brain and then it's yeah because, so that makes the other kind quite alien it's because it's what everybody tells you to do yeah as well get to the point you know make make it shorter people won't read that That these are mm-hmm. all the kind of things that people usually say but then that just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and again you have that thing of over time an audience just generally de-skills and they can't read anything long which you know maybe things shouldn't be long but i guess people need to have the ability to read that kind of thing 
Otherwise, you're never going to be able to read any sort of old book, any book that's more than like a decade or two old. Mm. And then you've just lost your entire culture pretty much. Yeah. That's what I'm constantly in a battle with. And we spoke about Mm -hmm. it before, about you're trying to destroy your audience. You're also trying to make something that's too smart for them. You're trying Mm -hmm. to... You're trying to push the envelope, but then in the back of your brain, you've kind of got the idea as well. Well, nobody will like this piece, and if I write a few of these in in a row, or I make an image like this a few in the row, mm-hmm. you completely lose your audience because nobody cares. People unsubscribe. Mm-hmm. It's like you've got the kind of these two sides to it, haven't you? You've got to feed the beast with some popular pieces, and then you've got to yeah. make esoteric weird pieces as well. Yeah, so I, I guess the way to do it, and what I'm trying to do is you kind of go to the popular place and you become popular enough and then you kind of grab a few people who might be interested in that weird stuff and then slowly over time um i wouldn't say you try and teach them because that's a bit condescending but someone who's kind of more inclined towards that anyway even if they don't quite know it because they haven't necessarily experienced too much of that before and then yeah kind of together you try and go off in a weird new direction because you don't need you don't need much of an audience really and of all the millions of people on various platforms you need like what a couple of hundred mm-hmm. I mean you literally write about nothing in most of your pieces yeah yeah intentionally so yeah <laughs> that's what like that's what life is though I mean if you're actually being honest <laughs> about what your life is like most of it's just yeah most of it's just small scale everyday kind of nothing yeah but the irony is when you get away from sort of um, like content land, it's like, yeah, your actual real life and many of like the greatest books ever written are all about nothing. Which makes them about something. Exactly, yeah. So you can only you can only talk about something universal based on the personal and the actual personal is just going to work or being on a train or whatever, you know. That's why I at least always try to write in first person and make it mm-hmm. at least about things that I've experienced. Yeah. Because what else have you got? Yeah. I, I, I've, I've never felt right trying to write about something I don't understand. I don't know. Investing in Bitcoin or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody more content-leaning would write about that because that's the thing that everybody wants to talk about. But I just, I just can't do it. It's kind of an honesty, like an mm-hmm. honesty, honesty thing to me. I just can't yeah, do yeah. it. And I've been, I'm actually really conflicted as well. I think that's why the the Friday piece is going to be quite interesting. I'm really conflicted to write about it because. Mm-hmm. So the story is, I just brought, I just bought an Omega Speedmaster. The watch mm-hmm. is four thousand pounds. Okay, now, and I'm really conflicted to write about it and i'm also really conflicted in buying it because mm-hmm. i'm just a working class kid from barnsley um but the watch w- means like way more to me than that you know the watch is like finally escaping some of that bullshit. symbol yeah, yeah yeah the watch is the symbol that i'm not that what i was previously yeah but that's left me really conflicted over this last week wearing it every day i love i love the watch it's amazing but it's still just a fucking watch Mm-hmm. And, the, and they're like the two things on my shoulders every single day right now. 
I'm like, oh, oh, the watch is beautiful. Yeah, but it's just a fucking watch, Craig. Yeah, but it's it's nice. Yeah, but it was far grand, Craig. Uh, I, and I'm like getting this every single day. And th- that seems like the most interesting thing to write about. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, you've, you've got you've got dramatic conflict right there. Yeah. And that, that's what you need to oppose and forces that you can kind of wrestle with. And that's, yeah, that's what you build narratives out of. So, yeah, that's definitely interesting. Cause, and again, what we're uh, talking about when we're briefly talking about the idea of Wednesdays there is you just use it as a, jo- as a sounding off point to talk about whatever you want. So even though what you're ostensibly talking about is like a piece of jewellery, what you're actually talking about is um, your attitude to your own social class and where you're from and the English attitude towards money and all these other things, which are fascinating. So that's a prime example of something that's seemingly nothing, but it's about everything. Whereas if you tried to just purely talk about class and money, it wouldn't work because it's too abstract. So, yeah, you start with something very, very small and without even necessarily meaning to, it just expands. And then someone halfway around the world kind of gets what you're talking about, even though it's going to be all filled with like uh, like a Yorkshire mentality, if you like. <laughs> that's, how th- that's how things work, you know? Yeah, I, that's something I've kind of picked up on over these last couple of weeks when I've been writing these mm-hmm. two, two things. You should observe things yeah. rather, rather than anything else. Most of the things I've picked up from the way that you write and some others, you, you should observe things and you should never prescribe things to people. Mm-hmm. Let people come to their own conclusion. Yeah. And so what, what spoils those two things? What's, what gets rid of your ability to observe and what makes you pass judgments on things? Well, talking about things you don't know anything about. In what format? <laughs> Content format. Okay, there we go, you see. <laughs> uh, something about Wednesdays. Yeah, this is about Wednesdays. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but that's why I wanted to stick with the Wednesday thing, because it is like utter it, it's utter banality. Yeah, right? exactly. But it leads to talking about anything, yeah? Yeah, Where, whereas... Well, I couldn't even think of what I would have called it if I wouldn't have called it that, you know, Craig, mm-hmm. Craig, Craig's life on a Wednesday or, or something. But mm-hmm. that wouldn't have been anywhere near as interesting. There, there's jeopardy built into every episode because I have to find something to talk about on Wednesdays. Exactly. And again, that goes back to the um, writing point, which is if you've done no preparation, you've got no real idea what you're talking about and the fact you've kind of just how to think about it. Then you sit down, you've got no idea what you're going to say, but by the end of it, you've said something like, Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that I thought that about myself. And then that's what it should all be about. It's all sort of discovery rather than you having a preconceived idea, which you're just going to tell people about. But you know what really fucks me off about all this? What's that? That the most popular things on the internet, the most popular books in the world don't follow any of these rules that we're professing to be the correct rules that you should follow. Yeah, well, I guess... Uh, Unless we talk about classic literature, then yes. But <laughs> Well, there, there we go. The fact that um, we've kind of come off the gold standard, so to speak, doesn't mean that the rules are wrong. Because I, I'm saying 
and I've said it on several podcasts with several people, destroy your audience, you know, pay no respect mm-hmm. to them, try and confuse them, try and lose followers, blah, 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 ban reply guys. And then the next, very next person, the very next person you see on Twitter is saying, do everything for your audience, love your audience, blah, blah, blah. Be audience first. And there's a million books about being audience first and all that oh, kind God. of thing. And, and that, that person has 100,000 followers and I and I have epoxy 5,000. So then yeah. you, you, you just get into a snowball effect of people listening to the people who've got the most followers because that gets them more followers. But I have a theory about that, that those 100,000 followers, only 5,000, less than 5,000, give a shit about what they're actually saying. They're... They, there's kind of this weird thing on, on most platforms where the majority of people that are consuming the quote-unquote content are only consuming it to get ideas for their own content. <laughs> exactly. So it's just literally a Ponzi scheme. And the only way you the only way you stop that or stop being a part of that is just doing something different, doing something which isn't just instantly um, shareable. Doing it for artistic reasons yeah i mean i mean why not this is this, this is the problem because um do you like i art? mean are you an art yeah. fan in general yeah yeah why not but i mean i wrote a i wrote a meander that was like a good good 1500 words about why being a bit pretentious is good so yeah definitely absolutely yeah i'm i'm not a big art fan i don't mind it but i'm not a big art fan so that's the thing. I, I mean, often, there's often come back. I to mean, again. there's there's levels, and a lot of stuff is. Um, I guess the difference is, I like something it can be as weird as it wants, but there has to be some sort of element of like objective skill to it. Mm. That's that's the kind of um, distinction for me, which doesn't necessarily mean that everything I like is really old and archaic. But yeah, there has to be that kind of element to it. Um, but yeah, anything that's kind of like artsy wank, but kind of still conforms to that is fine by me, you know? Because at least you're trying, at least you're actually trying to have a bit of ambition with what you do. Yeah. Trying to be different to some extent. Yeah. Or, or trying to do whatever kind of um, satisfies, yeah, satisfies you, because I suppose... The idea is, is you're supposed to have your own set of obsessions and weird tastes, and that kind of forms your worldview, and that kind of forms your art. And again, another problem with the whole um, content thing is it clearly draws from a, it draws from the same pool. You can kind of forensically follow where certain ideas come from. And it comes from like what the same like four Silicon Valley guys, and it just trickles down again. It's a Ponzi scheme. How, how long can you keep talking about this without being on Twitter anymore? How long can I what, sorry? How long can you keep talking about this kind of thing when you're not on Twitter anymore? <laughs> well, I think it kind of gives me, like, diplomatic immunity because it means that I've actually um, got some skin in the game that I'm not sort of hypocritically um, trying to play this game without playing it, you know. And, and yeah, I just, I just feel like... Uh, um, but I guess as time passes, I just think, oh, fuck it, who cares? People are just, people are just stuck there. They're not going to listen to me. I'll try to tell you as much as I can. Some people get in and join my little cult of personality. Most don't. Whatever. 
Yeah. I, I, I just, I just, I just wonder about it because I, I write about this kind of thing on Twitter sometimes. I'm, I'm not probably mm-hmm. not, probably not going to leave Twitter anytime soon because I actually enjoy writing on Twitter. I actually enjoy yeah. the, the ritual, but it, it isn't for the followers. And that kind of thing becomes more and more annoying as you get more and more followers because mm-hmm. you start to get people like reply guys and then you start to look like a bit of a wanker by saying the kind of things that I'm saying. And yeah. That then it then it becomes a point where you think, well, is it worth getting out or not? But the the point I'm I'm kind of getting to with it is that I, I I don't know whether whether people on Twitter really want to hear that kind of thing. Uh, when whenever I tweet about anything like that, mm-hmm. I, I've I've got this thing in the head my head, and it, it it's not kind of it's not well. It's not well planned out, so this is going to sound like absolute nonsense when I say it. But there's kind of an element of needing to save people that are on Twitter. Yeah, we, we that's sound, always my problem. We, yeah. we, sound like, we sound like two people talk like gods, but there's 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 an element of wanting to shake people and wake them up and saying, "Don't be part of this thing that I'm also part of." Um, but then to be able to get that message across, you have to play the game and you have to give. Mm-hmm. You have to say the messages in the way that they're going to understand, and, and and then by saying the messages in that way, you you kind of you negate your point by playing the game that they're saying. Do, mm-hmm. do, do you know what I mean? So you're like, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So it becomes like this weird circle of eventually you get, and I think maybe you're in a little bit of a danger of this. Eventually, you become like the guy who is ironically against social media and ironically against the internet, but still taking some of the benefits of it. Mm. Uh, and and then you become a bit of a joke and a bit of a brand, and it's a bit of a brand, and and then you think, oh well, I'm a bit of a brand now, and I, and I, and then how do you feel about that? It's yeah. Well, I think the thing that I'm Wednesdays. I'm trying to. I mean, yeah, Wednesdays. Um, I think the thing that I'm trying to do is kind of gradually pulling people away, so that becomes, um, I guess, that becomes less and less of a concern, or you feel like less and less um, outright hypocritical because you know the idea being that not only social media anymore. Um, now it's on Substack, that's the main thing, and that's a finite amount. But then mainly just spending most of my time in a Discord where I just speak privately to people, and that seems to get around that problem if that's where most of your interactions happen because you, you've got no metrics or audience build, you know, you've got no likes or anything to that. Mm. So there's a necessarily a bit of equality there, so you're just talking to one other person. And then that's you was kind of telling a mate what you think, and then then that's not so much of an issue as like pronouncing something to an audience. Mm. Then you're in a little bit of your own private echo chamber, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> a good a good yeah. a good echo chamber, maybe. Yeah. But there's there's still the potential for some of the other stuff. I'm only playing devil's advocate here, you know. No, to, no, it's to, a, yeah, to, I mean, I, I've, I've <laughs> pondered this in my own mind so many you're a, sort of times because, like, trying to be a 
hypocrite and um, trying not to be a hypocrite and trying to have like an actual set of values and things be consistent. It just seems to be well, there's the no way s- my mind works. There's no such thing. And it's though, just an impossible there? bind. No, of course there, not. There is no such thing. I, we were on about it this in, in the Discord, weren't we? You know, everybody's a hypocrite, but it, mm-hmm. it's like this. This is like a side point to this that everybody is a hypocrite, but nobody res- presents themselves as a hypocrite. Because if, mm-hmm. you, if you were to present yourself as a hypocrite, you would come across as a knobhead. But every, yeah. everybody's a hypocrite. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was like one of my rants I had about nuance the other day, and I, I had this rant on Twitter about nuance and that nuance is necessary. And, and what we've just been doing is having a nuanced conversation where we're being hypocritical back, back and forth and all that. Mm-hmm. But nobody gives a shit about the nuance of almost yeah. anything. Uh, and somebody on, on my Twitter said, they replied to me saying, yeah, but nuance doesn't get likes and followers. Like, that's not the fucking mm. point. <laughs> exactly. I think it, I think it's partly um, an age thing as well, because you're about the same age as me. You might be a little bit younger, so you've got all of your childhood and formative years are pretty much pre-internet. And that was just a different way of being and a different way of acting and so on. And yeah, you you never had an audience, or at least it certainly wasn't quantified, which if you look at things like books or art, um, what made them what they were was the reception to a degree, not necessarily the sales volume. Mm. So, you know, if someone was really good but just had a cold audience, that wasn't such a big deal. But if everything's a numbers game, then, yeah, the numbers just legitimise lowest common denominator and everyone ends up playing that game and again everyone just sort of de-skills over time i think it comes back to another point in that uh, amusing ourselves to death as well where he talks about Mm -hmm. speech being the ultimate form of communication it's like ground zero for communication that's where everything comes from everything else is a facsimile of speech Mm mm-hmm uh, and we get, we're almost getting to that point now where speech is just, well, we're already at that point. Speech is not respected. Speech, mm-hmm. because speech is confusing and nuanced and hypocritical and people say one thing one day and say another thing the next, uh, it has very little value in most people's minds. So this kind of weird thing that we're doing now, where we're, you know, we're recording this conversation, this this thing that we're doing is novel for some people who might be 15 years younger than us. Mm. They've like never sat in a fucking pub and had a conversation about conversations. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and I think ultimately it comes all the way back to that, that people are just don't respect or don't know how to have, how to speak, mm. <laughs> how to communicate with the mouth, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. and the reason for that is that... Um, people are lonely and the reason why people are lonely is because pandemic aside the trend was there anyway they um stay indoors they stay indoors all day and they stay indoors all day reading content Mm. so it's all a vicious all a vicious circle i mean obviously i'm exaggerating all this to prove my point but there is kind of that that trend there where yeah the idea of people watching watching videos and reading stuff like all day every day all evening every evening not going out speaking to people even like 15 years ago that was just alien 
So how do people get out of it? I'll I'll leave like a, a big, you know, an up an up an uplifting feel at the end of this. How do we get people out of it? Um. Well, to try and to try and answer that hypocrisy argument, I guess what you have to do is to try and make things a smaller scale, which is what I'm trying to do. So rather than appealing vaguely to like a theoretical large number of people, you try and actually be useful to an amount of people who's, you know, who you can be on first name terms with, who you can call, who you can do all these um, kind of things with. So it's kind of like stronger, less stronger bonds rather than um, just speaking to a mass of people from a soapbox. And so, yeah, that's why I really like that um, 1,000 true fans concept is, yeah, your audience doesn't need to be big at all. So you can still make things but you can make things as weird as you want because you've pre-selected people and you've um destroyed the audience or whatever your term was so that it's actually a human scale and maybe that doesn't leave you in an echo chamber because the people you've got in there are real people real real people jesus christ they're they're, (laughs) they're people who have got opinions who are going to say this is shit and you're going to have a conversation with them about it so I mean, it happens a lot in in your Discord. People don't exactly. Don't agree I guess with I as much as much as I joke about it being a cult, it's actually the opposite. In as much as people can um, contradict something without a bunch of reply guys swinging in and sticking up for me, you know. And in that context, you're much more likely to go, "Oh yeah, you got a point." Mm. Oh yeah, I'll have to go back and think about that some more. And so yeah, even though it's a yeah, even though it's a small group, it's. Uh, it has more that dynamic to it. And again, it's just a question of scale. I mean, the idea of um, being able to theoretically build a massive audience is great, but it's weird, especially historically. It's weird to have that potential ability to do that. I guess we aren't necessarily geared at this point to do that kind of thing via a screen, not face-to-face, often anonymous. Well, well, that's it, isn't it? It is a question Mm -hmm. of scale. It's a question of no scale. It's the fact that none of us are built to be Hollywood actor level fame, mm-hmm. but now Hollywood actor level fame is available to me or you in terms of the amount of replies we could get on Twitter yeah. and, and Instagram and things like that. We Either of us could literally build our own little Instagram celebrity out of ourselves and, mm-hmm. and get 500,000, a million followers for essentially doing fuck all with his lives and have thousands of adoring fans. Nobody's built for that. Mm. And I think you still know in your heart that that's not sort of built on objective skills. You might not consciously um, sort of accept that or recognise that in yourself. I do think that is one of the reasons why people slowly go insane. Mm. Even people who become massive with a ton of talent to use the, you know, certain of the, Hollywood examples, even they'd lose their mind. You're just not equipped to have people deal with you in those terms on that scale. I think ultimately everybody just wants to have a conversation with somebody, don't don't they? And, yeah. And if if you or I met each other in person and one of us went, oh my God, I can't believe it's you. It's, I'm so thankful to meet you and can I have your autograph? We're like, this is strange. That, mm. That's not how humans greet each other. You, I'm not your adoring... You know, I'm I'm not your guru, that kind of thing. 
Um, if you buy into that, it leads to insanity. And if you don't buy into that, it leads to insanity as well. <laughs> yeah. You're surrounded by aliens, effectively, aren't you? The, mm. the aliens that ad- that adore you, that won't, yeah. that won't tell you that your shit stinks. It's bizarre. And then if you completely opt out of that, you're the only person walking down the street without your phone in your hand. And that's pretty alienating too, which is why I'm trying to drag a few people with me. So I've got, you know, real life people to talk to, I guess. That's I, the thing I always come back to, I'm a bit of a contrarian anyway. I imagine you are too. Um, I love David Goggins' phrase, being uncommon man amongst uncommon men. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just the only way you can be. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I was in the gym at dinner time today, and I shit you not, there was seven people in the gym, and four of them were taking videos for Instagram. Fucking hell. Uh, and that, ruined my gym experience it it shouldn't but it did because mm-hmm. i'm like i'm in here to lift weights that's why i'm here my phone is over there my music is on i'm here to lift weights you are here to lift weights purely to give you content for your instagram profile yeah why the fuck are you here doing that and i, I saw it the same when i went for food the other day as well you know people were weren't eating their food they were taking photos and videos of them eating their food for Instagram. Mm. Like, n- n- nothing can be done just for the joy of doing it. Exactly. And, um, yeah, so even given your own stated aim in that situation, it's less effective than if you just didn't do that. Like, you know, you'd be able to concentrate more when you worked out or did whatever without that distraction, without thinking of that audience. And you just do it better and get more of a result that presumably is what you actually want, which is why you're doing the activity. Yeah, doing the singular activity, really just for the enjoyment of the activity. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'd argue the results are even less important if you're just doing the activity for the enjoyment of it. But I've ruined it now, haven't I? Because I've made content out of it as well. So there you go. This is it just becomes a trap. And yeah, I mean the slightly the slightly better level is the meta level of criticizing it, but you're still within the spider's web. So the only thing that I can figure out to do is to just sort of criticize it enough so you feel like oh, I've said my piece, I've got out of my system. And just ignore it. Which is where I am at the moment, just trying to articulate what I've got to say, which will only take a finite amount of time. Get all that written down. It's like, right, we're never speaking of this again. We're going to talk about whatever boring, long-winded, real-life topic I want to talk about, you know? So what's your next boring, real-life topic? Um, I don't know. I don't generally plan them until I, until I do them. But, um, but I think in the short term, I probably will do what I just said, which is take a few essays to just get all this shit out of my system, just say my piece. And then, yeah, never speak of it again, hopefully. Maybe doing one about Wednesdays. I could definitely do that. So I, I, I reckon I could stretch that out absurdly long, just as long as you, as long as you like. Because yeah, it's, it, I guess it's one seventh of your life a Wednesday. So if you can't talk about that, then you're doomed. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm worried. But at least we, you know, we got an hour of content here. I've, I've... Yeah, so there, there you go.
two. I mean, I don't. Go on. I was just going to say I've got two two weeks maybe. Or do I mm. release it? Do I release it as one uh, as kind a kind of a? You've got to consume it in the way that it was, you know, the way that it was held. I'm not going to split that too. That's your that's your prerogative. You could cut it up into a million pieces and just eke this out forever. <laughs> that's not. Or yeah, just, just one long, one long monotonous meander and see if anyone could actually make it to the end. That's the, that's definitely the spirit of the entire experiment I have with Substack. Yeah. I I plan nothing. Nothing is prepared for the day other than the thinking that I'm doing. The most preparation I've ever done is the thing that I just told you that I'm going to talk about on Friday. Mm-hmm. I, won't, I won't write it till Friday. So yeah. I think to reset myself to zero again for next week, this has to be released as it is. All right. That's that then. So I guess what you need is you need a certain word here right at the end so that if people make it that far, they'll know the word and then you'll be able to see if they've yeah, just slogged it through right to the end. Well, you're, you're the writer, so I'm sure you've got some kind of beautiful word. Oh, I'm just gonna, gonna have a look. Uh, have you got them on the? Looking, have you got them on your wall or something? I've got. I'm just looking at a bookshelf. Oh, um, <laughs> table. On the subject of which we were talking about, um, we're talking about Neil Postman, weren't we? Yeah. That's oh, can you see? That's a book you'll really want to read all about this sort of stuff. Orality and literacy. And yeah, that can be the phrase to see if anyone's made it to the end. <laughs> well, that that'll do, I think. Alright. <laughs> Cheers. Nice one, mate. <laughs>